I'm always excited to get a chance to talk to Tony Greer. He's the, you know, he founded TG Macro, I guess it's nearly seven years ago now, and has just launched the icebreaker, which again, we send out stuff on our links and I'll send that to you, but he writes the morning navigator, which I'm amazed at because it's every morning. Uh, incredible. After a long career, of course, in the analytical side and the writing side, all of this, he's out independently. And as you know, I've been recommending his stuff for a long time, but it starts with this, Tony. First of all, thank you. It should start with a thank you for being with us. I'll start with being, you're very welcome, Mike. It's always a pleasure to come and chat with you. Well, and, and I go back uh, right now two years, and, and you were a lonely voice when you talked about, uh, you know, the great reordering that we were going to get, the big change that we were going to see in the markets, uh, which you said, hey, I'm nervous about those tech socks. I like the commodity sector. You got in there, and, and just in case people don't know, you made a lot of money for your subscribers and saved a lot of money. I mean, they still must be sending you thank you notes for getting out of the tech sector, especially, you know, you were talking about all those aggressive ones, which we had too, is because, well, just as an old analyst, I, I couldn't figure out how to make sense of any of it, but you clearly said there's a great rotation coming, get out of those things. You made some nice money, but I, I just want to remind people, you were with us last June and another great piece of advice. I, we talked about that and you said, nah, I'm not jumping in the commodities now. You know, I'm holding back right now. Hey, again, a nice call. No wonder I want to chat with you and get your, your update on what you see happening now. So I know that's broad and I'm rambling, but uh, I want people to know where you're coming from and the record you've had. Thanks very much, Mike. I, I can't thank you enough. I mean, it, it's fun to hear somebody else perceiving the calls and interpreting them the way that I'm trying to communicate them. You, you're spot on with everything that you said. It follows right along with the, with the narrative of how I've been approaching it and the way I've been postured towards markets for my clients. Um, I will say that I got a large number of thank you notes for not having being involved in crypto for the collapse a little bit more than not being in the commodity market for the pullback. But, um, you know, I was a guy that was bullish crypto at the highs, just like everybody else. But, you know, that was a good testament to our process as traders, as we're traders and we don't get left holding the bag. Right. That's not something that's in our DNA. And so it just proved kind of that you can try to participate in that phenomenon that you see trading and using tactical trading abilities, get out unscathed and then have something like that happen before your eyes. But that's a totally separate story. We can go back to the commodity story or the tech story or whichever angle you want to approach. Well, Mike. let me come to crypto for a sec, because uh, you're right. Uh, uh, you were one of the people who abandoned it. Uh, you know, and as I say, do you wake up every morning pinching yourself saying, thank goodness. But here's your, just your guess at this point. Is it done? Has the damage been so great that, uh, you know, we've got a lot of people who are interested in that side of the market, interested in Bitcoin. And we always make a distinction here between Bitcoin and the 19,000 other coins. I should have had a Money Talks coin. I would be a billionaire by now. <laughs> but just your take on that. Is there, I, I know there's a lot of things on Sam Bankman-Fried and, you know, what's to come there. Jail time. No, it's actually the cover of Fortune. <laughs> Jail time. No, he's going to be featured by the New York Times. <laughs> he's going to have a job at Harvard very soon, without yeah. a doubt. <laughs> but has the damage been so severe that you're not seeing a recovery there for a long, long time, if at all? I, you know, I think it's going to be challenging for um, 
Bitcoin to get on the run or a similar type of run that it was on, right? That was a run that was fueled by abundant liquidity in markets. It was fueled by, you know, near zero interest rates. And that whole world, as we know, has been turned on its head since then and been the reason for the initial collapse. And now, you know, if, if we're going to trade this thing on sentiment and get bearish when guys put their laser eyes on, you know, I'm getting near, I don't know if I'm near the price yet, but I'm getting close in time to being able to be bullish as an outside observer, Mike, if that's fair. You know, sentiment now in Bitcoin is as negative as it gets. There was just a journal um, editorial last week that said, could the final price of crypto be zero? You know, and that's the kind of sentiment that I look forward to to say, OK, people are throwing this, uh, you know, this asset out with the bathwater. They're throwing it out with the crisis on the screen. I totally get that. Um, and at the same time, you know, financial stocks bottomed after Lehman went bankrupt and rallied from there. So this could be that kind of scenario where we're close in time to seeing a, a, just a, a totally bombed out bottom because everybody that was in crypto that got hurt probably had to be out of it, especially now with this fraud on the tape and knowing that there could be more cockroaches, fraud, collateral damage. I would imagine that most smart institutions have taken down their risk geez, to next to nothing in cryptocurrency. So it might be an okay time to stick your foot in. My, my, my quandary with that I don't have the edge like I have with oil, um, knowing that, you know, we're going to keep burning oil and oil is going to go higher. I don't have that edge with crypto because I don't necessarily know that it has to go to a much higher price to become more widely adopted or ubiquitous, which is, I think, the direction it's probably going, you know, where it's going to, you know, continue to be used more and more. I just don't know what price level that has to happen. So. I love your point also, though, about the environment that, uh, you know, I sort of have been overlooking that because the the scam, for me, the fact that, and it was a goofy award, I do a goofy award every week, last week's goofy award is how is this guy not in handcuffs yet, uh, you know, and then his interviews exactly. these, this past week have been nothing but jaw-dropping, you know, I, I yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I just sort of go, my gosh. You know. No, you and everybody else on Wall Street, Mike, you know, we have this reality that plays uh, that plays out on Twitter. And then you've got to live through the alt reality that the government media complex throws at you. Right. And we've mm -hmm. got to watch um, we've got to watch uh, the journalist. I forget his name, you know, wheel out Sam Bankman Freed and, and, you know, try to have a serious conversation with him. I mean, that's stuff that you can't take seriously when you see that a guy is already guilty of transferring client funds that that you can't take that away from him he's guilty and the funds being gone yeah. you know so you know we certainly can't prove it yet but we have a lot of circumstantial evidence and a lot of history to look back on as to what this looks like so we'll see what the the rest of the uh, gov media reality show tries to show us and unfortunately it's out of mind in your power whether or not he gets arrested or arraigned or anything like that my guess is no but we'll see well, it'd be interesting. Maybe one of those uh, signals that you could look for is when all those damn celebrities stand up and swear off ever endorsing another investment for as long as they live. Maybe that'll be our bottom. There uh, you go. Theory. There you I go. Know. If anything, I feel bad for Tom Brady. It sounds like he got caught pretty bad in this, but we'll see. I don't know proof to that either, but he was certainly uh, involved. Let's say that. But enough about his marriage. Okay. No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Let, let's come. But the other thing you're, you're saying, which is easy to overlook, is that it was the environment too. I mean, there was no due diligence, obviously, all of that stuff for sure. But yeah, I mean, how important that record low interest rate environment, the flushing of 
six, seven trillion into the system was for all of these things. Like we're not talking uh, NFTs, but boy, I saw a, conf- a picture of a conference in London and uh, it was lonely in that conference, you know. Yeah. Like the talking about turn. something that's off the radar, you know. But again, it comes back to everything we've been talking about, which uh, what you've been writing about on the daily, you know, the morning navigator is man, that record low interest rate, the environment has changed. I mean, dramatically so. We shouldn't be, a lot of people, oh, I wish it was like it was. It's not going back, not without those interest rates. That's right. And my, you know, my, my thing is um, why the reason it's not going back is because we still are going to have commodity inflation because we see persistent attack on supply, right? You can pick up the newspaper every day and read about how, you know, fossil fuel supply is being attacked, how it's affecting the entire supply chain, right from food, uh, right from energy to food to metals and things like that. So that's not going away. The longer we have no investment in new drilling and new projects, the longer the inflation is going to be with us. That's a fact. Yeah, I did a comment at the outside of the show just talking about, you know, ask, they were asking me how to sum up in that sort of climate energy stuff we're dealing with. And I said, uh, the word preposterous jumped in because it's unreasonable. And I'm just astounded. And, and what you're talking about, I think, is the key to going forward, which is, you know, for all the talk, there's no capital investment going to happen. You know, and if you don't have capital investment, that's what you're saying, like the edge from your years as a trader, first of all, and an analyst too. Mm-hmm. Uh, just I don't see how we get out of the energy mess over time. No, you know, the thing is, when when we do finally, you know, move U.S. energy policy off the insane level of <laughs> off of the batshit crazy where we're not going to drill on, you know, our own federal lands and we're going to cancel pipelines and things like that. This lack of investment is going to be a problem um, for two or three. No, excuse me, I shouldn't say when. However many years down the road, when we decide to change things from off of, you know, a full green movement, uh, carbon neutral by 2030, it's still going to take two bit it four years, five years before we can really get gas prices back down to where they were. Just because there's not enough drills in the Gulf, there's not enough drills in the ground to be able to, you know, supply as long, you know, that's given constant gasoline or energy demand, which seems to continue to grow. So, you know, it's hard to have a prognosis that this is going to get any looser anytime soon, although they've done a pretty good job recently with the SPR sale. That's taken a lot of uh, the tightness out of the crude oil market and taking a bit of the uh, taking the heat off it. But we'll see how long that lasts. Uh, again, strategic petroleum reserve, but down to what nineteen eighty four levels or something like this. To me, though, there's a structural, uh, there's a, a political problem there in that the Saudis know those numbers. My gosh, if I know them on money talks, you know they know them, and they can now yeah. start using that to their advantage. I thought it was set up to take that advantage away from them. You know, from the nineteen seventy three oil shock. Now they've put it right back in their hands. So again, I don't see how that's going to end up well. No, they're playing, you know, um, Doomberg said it best when he said that the Biden administration is playing this card game with their hand open, Mm. right? The Saudis know, you know, exactly what he's trying to accomplish, number one. They know exactly how much in the SPR he has left, number two, right? And if I'm on the other side of this trade or if I am not, you know, a cozy trading partner with this country, then I'd like to see them drain their strategic reserve to zero if I can, right? That just yeah. puts me in advantage, you know, puts them at a disadvantage against the rest of the world. So that's what we fear is happening. It doesn't feel like um, they're going to be buying oil back at any, you know, lower price or anything like that anytime soon. 
So, you know, we'll see what the consequences are. Luckily, you know, for, for the consumer, it's, you know, off the highs a little bit and gasoline prices are off the highs. Probably it's at a level that they hold. But all of this is a very tricky dynamic to surf. It's been as difficult as I've ever seen it. We literally see the Biden administration policy versus OPEC plus policy. And they are directly in confrontation with each other. And we'll see how it pans out. I, I, I just, I guess I'm saying in summary, I, I just don't see anything that suggests that the supply challenge is being addressed. The refinery capacity challenge has been re- addressed. Uh, I, again, I mentioned this earlier in the show that not a single wind turbine was ordered in the third quarter in Europe, not one oh for the offshore wind. Yeah. And I'm just saying, yeah, they've come out talking big. Well, this is a great excuse to get more renewable. Well, you do have to do something about it and yeah. zero. And that's the right number. Zero was what was bought. Oh, man. So, yeah, I, don't so I'm how, not seeing, I don't know how this- how we're getting out of this. I don't see anything that, uh, you know, they reverse the fracking. Liz Truss comes in, probably the best thing she did is say, we're going to frack again. You know, uh, the new prime minister takes around eight seconds to say, no, we're not. Uh, So I'm just not seeing anything. I see the long-term challenges still persisting and I don't see any contrary information to uh, sort of dissuade me from that view. Not at all. They're still talking about that we're not converting fast enough. Right. Mm-hmm. So they, their, their foot is on the pedal. Their foot is on the pedal right in front of everybody. And, you know, like I said, it, it eventually is going to probably put upward pressure on the markets. You know, we're, we're probably dealing with um, a little setback in inflation expectations globally right now and a little setback in economic growth expectations globally. So I guess that's probably part of the reason that, you know, oil is back off the highs toward the lows of the range. It's totally fair to say. And, um, you know, we'll see if there's a breakdown coming from here or a spike coming from here, but at least it's getting interesting. The spreads, Mike, have come all the way back from, you know, when the calendar, the crude calendar was 11 and a half bucks and spreads were all puffed out and it was, you know, two or three dollars for the front month spread. That front month spread is back down to flat, mm. right? The front month spreads are, are now no longer dollars can tango. Some of them are a couple of cents can tango, uh, excuse me, dollars backwardated. They're just a couple of cents backward dated or they're back to flat. And it would seem, you know, the hard part for the trader, the trade community is that you look at inventories and they're at historic lows, you know, even across a lot of the petroleum products. And that doesn't necessarily translate it to higher price all the time. You know, so you've got to you got to watch the spreads and watch for the spreads to get back on their feet and people start buying front month against the back month before the flat price is going to work its way out of all of this technical turmoil that it's in right now but this is uh, one of the reasons that your trading background you know and you you by the way you look way younger than uh, 25 years doing that but uh, (laughs) the trading background you know is so important though you know i mean looking inside the dynamic i mean obviously tg macro macro view but you look inside the trading data and say no these are the triggers i'm looking for and and i'm hopefully and again i'll remind people that tony's going to be with us at the world outlook conference February 3rd and 4th, by then oh, yeah. maybe we'll have some of that resolve. But that's the backdrop that you're looking at these. Uh, and yeah. let me just delve into that a little bit more with some of the other commodities, is that we're seeing this sort of discrepancy between the physical availability, supply, and what the paper market is saying. I mean, silver is one of the ones on my list that, you know, again, I say I'm not, a, I'm not trading it. I'm just, I have a position in it. Because my observation is once these things get popular, they go through the roof. 
you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they, they explode. And yeah. so, you know, an initial, and this is just me, by the way, I'm not giving advice to anybody. I'm not suggesting, I don't know your circumstances, but I'm just saying as an example of, of approach. So I have this sort of core position because if we're going to electrify the world, you ain't doing it without more silver. And you've got, yeah. uh, so it's more the discrepancy we've got between the physical market and the paper market. And I just, we're seeing that in several different commodities. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to look at that when I come out there in February, Mike. We're going to look, I'm going to show, uh, you know, I don't want to give away too much secret sauce, but we're going to look at those inventories over history and see where they are now and where they've come from. And, you know, if you just look at basic LME inventories across aluminum, copper, zinc, uh, zinc and nickel there, you know, they're all bending towards historic lows. You know, so you wonder where all this metal is going to come from for the big, you know, the big move towards electronic vehicles and battery power. And, you know, you kind of marvel that how is the price backing off? You know, like it looked for a while there, like copper was going to break through 10K on the LME and keep sailing away, you know, which is a dynamic that we've seen before when there's consistent demand and low inventory. So, you know, what wound up happening is we see a big slowdown in, you know, inflation expectations and they sort of take their foot off of uh, some of the media rhetoric about net zero. If you've noticed, it's been well out of the media lately. Um, and that's something that helps sort of take the inflationary scorch out of the markets. And it really does. It's amazing how it works, but it does, you know, team that up with the SPR sale and the government's working overdrive to, to take, you know, the optics of inflation out and it works. So, you know, those forces are going to be pushing and pulling and constantly coming back. Like you said, though, it's the physical side of the market that doesn't seem to lie. You know, the, the reason that Prince Abdulaziz, you know, who's essentially, you know, Saudi's um, OPEX energy minister um, from Saudi Arabia is saying, you know, he sees the physical disconnect. They, they're charging their Asian clients, you know, for physical cargoes, you know, prices above the offer and getting paid on one side. And they're looking over to U.S. markets and the paper market is spilling into, you know, new lows and open interest is nosediving. So there's less and less people involved in the commodity. And, you know, that's why the people at OPEC are saying, okay, if you guys are going to distort the price that way, we're going to cut production, right? We're, we've got an economic slowdown to point to, you know, you guys are artificially manipulating the paper price. He called uh, the Biden administration out on that. So that's an interesting dynamic to watch. And that's the kind of the push and pull that we're seeing on the screens right now, you know, between oil almost breaking out through 93 after the PPI number two weeks ago to it collapsing to a new low of 73 today. That is literally the push and pull between those SPR sales and the OPEC cuts. And it's fascinating to watch. Uh, the other part of that equation, and I'm glad you're, you're bringing up the demand side, you know, the big debate about China, you know, is China opening, not opening? You look at that spike in COVID, you know, cases, you know, huge spike. Although I've pointed out on Money Talks that it's really interesting. Uh, and you just, I just don't know what's going on there. I mean, I don't, you know, who's, who understands it, but they're killing their economy. But sorry, on the other side, you get how many, how few of them have symptoms. They've locked down a city and they've got 30,000 cases and they found three people with a symptom, you know? Right. See, so that's the point where like, you know, it looks to me like Xi Jinping decided that COVID was going to be his personal, you know, little wag on the global economy. Right. If he wants it to look strong, he has to, you know, say COVID's fine and everything's going OK. If he wants it to look weak, all he's got to say is I might lock down 100 million people and the oil market goes down five dollars and bonds rally and everybody shits themselves, you know. Yeah. And 
I think what's interesting is that we may have proven that, at, you know, as sad as it is, though, I think it's kind of out in broad daylight that this zero COVID policy is one of the more batshit crazy policies that any authoritarian has tried to put on his people in a long time since evidence of the people that died in that fire. I, I think that that's something that the world is not going to move past. And I think there'll be more and more pressure on G to loosen up on zero COVID. And I think I just read today where he's getting recommendations in white papers that he needs to. Yeah. So if that if that if that politically doesn't hold any water anymore in China, that's a big sort of a drag off of the commodity markets, in my opinion. Right. Commodity traders, you know, every single one you talk to, whether you talk to somebody in grains, metals or energy, every one of them has got an eye on whether Xi Jinping has, has got leverage to lock down the country. Right. Because that's the, that's the wake up and you're out 10 percent before you figure out what happened risk, you know, so every trader's got that on their mind. And if you remove that and the market starts to sense that, I mean, it could be why it could quite honestly might be why copper levitated from 7,600 sitting just above the 2019 highs to 8,600 to where it is now. You know what I mean? It has a little bit to do with the falling dollar, but definitely a little bit to do with that perception that G is not going to be able to get away with zero COVID forever. So we'll see how that pans out, too. That's a really tricky one. Uh, let me come in. I'm jumping around a little bit, but in the commodity sector, to gold. I just wanted to yeah. make sure I don't forget to ask you about gold. Hell yeah. Gold is, you know, we, we managed to, uh, you know, we managed to capture, you know, a nice 25% move in GDX on, uh, for my clients in the view matrix just for having the love of that chart pattern, quite honestly. You know, you watch gold go down seven consecutive months in a row. You watch GDX go down right alongside it. And then we ran into the Bank of England when the gilt market came apart. And we ran into the Bank of Japan when dollar yen went to 150, right? And they both intervened at those levels. That turned out to be the dead ball high in the dollar index when nobody thought that anybody was going to stop the dollar from rallying, right? You remember that a couple of months ago, people were like, I was getting slammed on Twitter for saying like, guys, that's a good high in the dollar index. Like that's a good high on the board. It's got the Bank of England intervention there. It's got the Bank of Japan intervention. And people are ripping my arms off saying, Tony, the Bank of Japan has already intervened. You know, this is the second time. And you're like, yeah, but this is the first time with the Bank of England on their side two weeks ago, you know, for different reasons. But the bottom yeah. line is it was, it was, for, it was for the same reason. Right. It's for the weakness in the foreign currencies and the weakness in their credit markets, which is why they're suffering so much weakness. And if the central banks decide to come in and stop it, that's always a good reason for the dollar to turn. And now we've got the dollar dumping between uh, below the 200 day moving average in the dollar index. And nobody saw that coming at all either. So th this is the one pivot here that I think that the market is a little bit behind on still. So I think gold can go even higher. I think metals can still go higher. I, I still think the world wants to short the recovery trade. I, I think they want to short stocks into the rally. I think they want to short commodities into the bounce. You know, anything that has to do with, um, you know, markets getting better or improving, it feels to me like the initial reaction is guys want to sell it. So but with that U.S. dollar, uh, you know, uh, index, uh, or looking at the U.S. dollar against all these major currencies, I mean, to me, that would just spell, as you've alluded to, I know I'm reiterating, but, you know, very positive for the commodity sector. You know? 100%. This yeah. is something I'm banking on now. You know, it's, it's, we, we, just, we, just, we just spent, you know, the entire year of 2022 making money being long commodities with the dollar rallying. 
Now, one of two things is going to happen when the dollar stops rallying. Either the correlation is going to stay the same and commodities are also going to stop rallying, or what looks like is going to happen is commodities, commodities are going to have a fire lit under their ass and there's going to be another leg higher to this trade. Do you know what I mean? Like yes, a rallying, yeah. a stronger euro right now has obviously changed the complexion of gold from being, you know, seven months in a row offered to finally having an up 8% month in November. And it's finally violating resistance levels. So it looks good, looks good on the charts. And the prognosis in rates now, you know, with a little bit lower inflation expectations and a little bit easier economic expectations, you can imagine that rates can back off a little bit further until the inflation genie comes back and bites them all in the ass. But we'll see when that happens. Right now, it's not a problem. Can you just uh, give us a quick, uh, you know, and again, these are uh, the questions to Barbara Walter-ish, you know, like uh, <laughs> I, I've been invaded by her soul. But uh, you know, the quick the quick take on the overall market action that you're seeing. Um, S&P? Yeah. Yeah, the stock market is, uh, in my opinion, about to surprise people on the upside. We, the, the one thing that you know, stands out to me like a sore thumb is that while we built that negative sentiment bubble that we were in quite literally over the, uh, you know, through the fall when the markets were tanking to a new low, when the S&P was sitting around 3,600, we got data out one, one morning. I forget what the data was, but that was the day that the S&P spilled 100 points to 3,500 and right back to 3,600 in the same breath, right? And everybody that's got, you know, our kind of years of experience sees that kind of price action and says, whoa, that's reversally, really reversal type of price action, right? And there was still some volatility after that. There was still a lot of stock changing hands after that. And not mysteriously, the market kind of just crept higher and higher and higher. And everybody that was short didn't want to believe it. You know, we're back into that period where stocks are going up and the economic data is bad. And people that don't think that people that don't understand that one, they aren't apples and apples are saying, what the hell's going on here? You know, we can't make so that you know that they can't buy into this rally. And we just had this massive negative bubble and there was so much short position out there that there's really no place to go for the S&P but up right now, especially if rates are going to back off, right? So I think that's kind of the predicament that um, the bearish S&P trader has found himself in now. Um, we managed to, to convert ourselves to bulls at the right time. We've been long for this. And a couple people are throwing in the towel, and I'm kind of trying to remain long for this because I don't see the catalyst that turns us over right now, at least between now and the end of the year, Mike. One of my big things that I, the reason that I, that I clock percentage moves and performance so hard over the course of a day, a week, and a month is because when the trends over the year start to develop and you get down the stretch of the year, those trends usually just keep flying in whatever direction they were going, right? Yeah. The guys that were buying energy all year are now inhaling energy because it's the only thing that's working. And guys that are long tech into the end of the year saying, let's see, if I have another year long software down 50%, down 40%, that's getting expensive, you know? So maybe we should cut that down because if rates keep going up, I'm still going to have a problem long all this software. So that's just a, a way of thinking where I tend to think into the end of the year now, the last couple of weeks. I don't know, especially after Powell the other day, you know, kind of going, you know, I don't want to crash the economy is the new dove. 
right? So he was just saying, I'm going to lay off these big, gigantic rate hikes. And that's where we had that outsized move yeah. through the moving average close in the last hour last Friday. So to me, that was a conspicuous potential beginning of a new leg of this rally. Because before that, it was pedal to the metal. We're here to fight inflation. We've got to get rates up, right? That, that was the only message we were getting. And that was perfectly clear. Now that they've got everything to back off and you see the Fed chair say, we don't want to wreck the economy. Holy smokes. I wouldn't be short stocks now with anyone's money. And by the way, everybody in the real estate business in the U.S. is going, you're too late. You've already crashed my economy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, exactly. And that's another example, another perfect example, Mike, the home builder sector. If you're a generalist today, you got to be short builders, right? Mortgage rates just went from three to seven percent. And I don't know that you got out of that short yet, but I'm going to tell you, I don't know that home builders are going to cooperate anymore if rates start heading lower. Right. If rates start ticking lower, there's going to be no offer. And there's still people sitting there short the most interest rate sensitive sector of the market. So that's another one that I could get behind. I haven't pulled the trigger yet, but I haven't taken my eye off the chart either. Well, as I say, there's so much we're talking about. That's why I'm so looking forward to you joining us at the World Outlook. But I want to tell people, Tony's just launched uh, the, the icebreaker. It's easy to go. Go to tgmacro.com. And you can Navigator TV. Too. Navigator, uh, Navigator TV. TV. Thanks. Yes. Yep. And we'll put all that stuff up for you, but you've got, it's just a great summation of what's going on in the market. And of course, the morning navigator, as people look forward to on a daily basis, and you're on Substack too. You are well, that's a busy it. guy. Here, yeah. let, me, let, me, let me give you the organization of it, Mike. So I just yeah, launched, yeah, at tgmacro.substack.com, I just launched Navigator TV. That is going to be a free product that I launch. It's basically going to be my front end that's going to let me get to know with the, get to know the world and let the world get to know me. One of the signature video that the Substack offering is going to be all audio visual, so no written content, which is what I put out every day on the Navigator. Right, that's that is still a subscriber based model that you can subscribe to on the website. The Substack video and audio is going to be all free. There's going to be three different types of audio video content, one of which is the icebreaker. That's the um, video that I've named the icebreaker, which is a recap of either the previous week or the previous month's performance. And then there are going to be um, individual um, chart looks where I just dissect one chart pattern that's going on that I like. And then there will be other market updates where I come in and just where I have really high conviction on certain things. I'll come out and I'll say, look, this is what I think is happening. This is how I think it unfolds. And my money's where my mouth is. So those kind of offerings I'm hoping will be, you know, things that draw people to get closer to me, closer to the navigator, maybe want to be in my Slack channel, which is more fun than a frog in a glass of milk. And, um, you know, that's where there's 150 traders kind of banging out every day where we're going to make money. And it's a really, really great, great um, community. So that's the list of my entire list of offerings without being too salesy. I just wanted to no, kind of organize no. it for your audience so they know what's going on. And much appreciated. But I, also, I'll just add one more thing. It also uh, such a wonderful overview of what's going on. And then yeah. traders and someone with you know years of experience interpretation of what's going on, and then yeah. how you can employ that in your own personal financial investment portfolio. So, uh, I, and by the way, also on Twitter, uh, Twitter 
you know, mm-hmm. uh, you put stuff on Twitter on there. So yep. uh, again, we'll put all this, well, we did yesterday. We started on yesterday, on Friday, we put stuff out, uh, you know, about awesome. uh, all of those things and, and just reminding people you were going to be with us. Uh, anyways, it's great stuff. Look forward to seeing you in February. Uh, Tony, thanks so much for finding time for us. You know how much we appreciate it. Oh, I love it. I love it. I can't tell you, Mike, I am going to really, really polish up this presentation for you guys in February. I'm going to try to make some noise when I come out there. Great stuff. Awesome. Thanks so much today, Mike.